0: People are always asking me about Dr. David Strauss, mostly the macabre type, because of the mystery of his disappearance. Those get no reply. The others, who want to know of his work, I help as much as I can, as much as a research assistant can, and if we strike enough of a correspondence, and I come to trust them, and if they ask, I tell them the story of that winter in Chile. I had studied under Strauss at Sussex University and was flattered beyond belief when he offered me a placement on his research team. He'd secured an allotment for the hotly contested Fermi satellite, the first of its kind, its moon orbit granting it the greatest clarity of the observable universe. I packed that night and within a day I was flying down the spine of South America. The first few days were heady, setting up servers, readouts, and triangulation sensors. Then when night fell, we'd all bundle into a couple of muddy jalopies and barrel out of our lonely little valley and into the local town, to drink cheap tequila and speculate wildly on what we'd discover. It was no riddle as to why NASA had granted us access, There'd been a research arms race since phosphine was found on Venus, and Strauss's algorithms were now revolutionizing the field of spectroscopy. All those planets had a story to tell, and we were the best equipped to find them. I remember that first night, when all the gear was up and running. We were patched through to NASA, and they were pumping telemetry from Fermi as fast as our servers could swallow it. The signal was strong, and just from glancing at the numbers as they cascaded through the monitors, you could tell they were denser than anything we'd passed through before. It went that way for two hours. Just as suddenly, Fermi had moved on. There was a silence, almost a reverence. No one knew what to say. Strauss fastened his jacket and stood at the front. When I was a boy, I'd ride my bike to the beach
1: whenever there was a clear night, and swim out as far as I'd dare, float on my back and stare up at the stars. Out there, in the dark, I'd feel like I'd left the earth, left myself, and all that was left was the wonder. That wonder is what's driven me ever since, I suspect it's what drives all of you. Tomorrow we explore, but tonight we celebrate.
0: I made sure to take the long way down to the driveway, where the jalopies were waiting. I stopped in a clearing, the wind was making the tree branches groan, and I spent a long while staring up. Being a city kid, the stars still make me speechless, and that night I felt they were just a little closer. What came next were a lot of 18 hour days. None of us gave a damn, of course, mostly in our twenties and drinking coffee by the gallon. The data was raw and gargantuan chemical compositions of thousands of solar systems. Strauss's algorithms were constantly being realigned and there was an army of interns to spot check and run manual calculations to ensure the results were on the money. We were discovering new planets by the minute. Mesoplanets, planetars, exoplanets, gas giants, dwarves, and of course, the Goldilocks. A planet just the right size, just the right shout from its sun, just the right chemical brew to support life. Anytime someone found a Goldilocks, it'd be whoops and hollers, drumming on the desks, and the numbers would go up on the board, coordinates, chemical comp, timestamp. By the end of the second week the whiteboard was full, a hundred and seventeen planets. Strauss sent us all off before midday, ordered us to head into town, drink, eat, dance. I was the last to leave the lab, he told me he just needed to finish up and he'd join us at the bar. But I caught sight of him through the window. As I was heading down the stairs, he was feverishly wheeling between monitors. A thousand thoughts burning through his mind. I knew he wouldn't be joining us. I was first in on Monday, too. He was already there, wrapped over a keyboard, cold coffee by the side, two-day beard, bloodshot eyes. But something else, too. An air to him, not of fatigue. I'd seen him strung out before. No, as I watched him walk the team through the day's tasks, what he wanted focused on, it was something else. A sense of fear. It didn't dissipate, only thicken. He was constantly craning over shoulders. Every readout seemed to worsen the weight till he stumbled home with barely a word. He was absent the next three days. We cracked on, of course. NASA was still sending us gold. At the end of the third day, I got a taxi to his hotel. He hadn't left the room, and I doubt he'd eaten. Every flat surface had stacks of paper, all scrawled with manic long-form maths. He kept trying to make me leave till I sat him down and forced three finger bottles of mini-bar gin down him. He looked into me deep.
1: I had to know. I had to know, Ava. I've run the math myself on at least two dozen Goldilocks. Crazy, isn't it? I spent four years creating that algorithm and all this week I've prayed it was wrong. But it's not. The date is the same any way I run it. The numbers don't lie. The chemical comps are all wrong for all of the Goldilocks. The minerals that should be there aren't, or far smaller than the planet should have, or in a different form. And for it to be true, there's only one explanation that shoulders above the rest. Refinement. All mined, smelted, drilled, fracked, till there's nothing left, till the planet's spent.
0: Looking off into the horizon, already graying with the morning sun, he unclenched his fist and unfurled the paper that was crushed tight inside.
1: LV681, about our size. Should be plenty of water, mud, atmosphere, nickel core. A perfect exoplanet, only it's not. It's a hell state. Look here, CO2 should be 0.04%, but it comes out at 96.5. 96.5 Ava. Even lichen can't breathe that. Only one process can bring about that kind of self feeding cycle runaway global warming. Look at all the papers on that desk. There's seven stories much the same. We labelled phosphine a biomarker. But really, it's just the rot of the dead. A microorganism just about getting by on carbon dioxide. Floating up in the outer layer, whilst all but the bedrock is broken down. But plumes of sulfuric acid. We're living in a graveyard, Ava. And we're destined to join it.
0: With that, he slumped back. The paper slipped from his hand, catching on the wind, drifting down to the city streets, into the light and noise of life. He told the whole team the next day. I remember the wall of dazed faces. No one spoke. One by one, we drifted off to run the maths ourselves. After that he was gone. The rest of his story I watched splashed across TV screens, press conferences, interviews, statements. Stating what he found, declaring it a warning from the deep horizons of space, no one listened. They disputed, disregarded, disparaged, tore up a brilliant man's reputation and career, then left him to drown in the tatters. His disappearance months later made no headlines, people had moved on. His jalopy was found abandoned at a beach not far from the lab. I don't know what he went looking for out in the waves, but I hope he found it.
1: Thermy's Warning. Written by Peter Gardner. Starring Nora Blastrock and Peter Gardner. Music by Kraken Mare and the Comanche Sigh. More episodes can be found on iTunes under Whispers Through the Static.